Hello, Radio Check listeners. Thanks for binging all the way to episode three with Harley K. Dubois. Keeper and I had a wonderful, wonderful afternoon speaking with Harley. She was so open and so on point. Had notes. She was ready to go. We like being able to help tell the stories that haven't been told often enough. You might even say, it's our mission. Ma! Anyways, here's episode three. We hope you have as much fun as we did. Enjoy. Harley Dubois has done a million things for Burning Man. In 2002, I got handed the Rangers in a very unceremonious, ceremonious way. But once I got handed them, I already had community services, and that was already nine other departments. Then I got handed the Rangers, and at the same time, I got ESD, which was four departments, right? Fire, medical, radio communications, and crisis intervention. So by that point, I had so many departments, it was really hard to manage, like 15 or 16 departments. So I created the Playa Safety Council to nest everything together, and I put one person in charge of it, so I had one report instead of like seven reports. And for community services, I did the same thing. I got out of running those nine departments, and I put one person in charge of it, and then I had two reports instead of 15 or something. 16. Right. I hate to harp back to it, but I'm really curious about the, the spinning, spinning off of ESD. <laughs> Can we go back to that point? I mean, how does that happen in a meeting? I'm just going to take this away? I mean, I know they didn't get along, and Joseph was doing all of the Rangers and probably focusing on the, the life safety stuff. Was it a, at a meeting, or was, did everyone vote on it, or did he just, was there a stomping? I want to do my own thing. I'm just going to take all these people. No, Joseph is a, he's a real good strategic thinker, and he's highly organized. Um, I'm just, you're really sort of just making me think, and I bet if you talk to two or three of us in the room at the same time, we would collectively come up with a story that's actually completely accurate. But what I can safely say is, there was too much to do for any one person. Um, so uh, to throw fire, medical, radio communications, rangering, and DMV, Bogman started DMV, because it was all out of AAA, right? And he was a AAA, that's what he did for a living, was work at AAA. So he took all the AAA stuff and applied it to Burning Man. That's why it's called DMV, Department of Mutated Vehicles, because he was working for AAA with Department of Motor Vehicles. Um, and so that was under Rangers too. And it's just too much to throw under one heading. So it was really easy for him. And he's, he had all the degrees and all of the training in medical and mm -hmm. had quite a bit of fire training as well. It was really easy for him just to slice that off and say, I'm gonna move that over here because he was so good at doing it that he just made those pathways, found his people, came up with processes. And Bogman had his hands filled with everything else he had. So I think it just kind of happened. It's like, this is the best way I like to get things done at Burning Man. You come up with a good idea, you find people to support you, and you run as fast and hard as you can to get as much as you can done before anybody notices. That's how you get stuff done, right? Yes! <laughs> yes, that's exactly what you do. Oh. And I'm pretty sure that's what Joseph did with ESD. Before you knew it, it had a name, it had people, it had stuff, and it was done. Crow and I have done that so many times. <laughs> and then a year later, people are like, oh no, we, that's been there forever. And we're like, exactly. Sure. Well, that's, that's the three-year rule, right? Like you have the idea and everyone thinks right. you're stupid. Then you go and do it and everyone has an opinion, which means you won. They think it's important now and they want to get in on it. And the, by the third year, oh yeah, we, we've always done it that way. Yeah, that's, yeah, really good. Such a running man way. I was going to ask one other smaller thing, but I thought that Gate, Perimeter, and Exodus were also part of the Rangers and also splintered off at some point from that piece of the organization. Did that all happen at the same time or was that a different split? Much, I think that all happened at the same time. 
I think we hit a critical mass and it all peeled off at the same time. Um, what I know, what I, let, me, let me walk through my history of gate from as I know it. Um, we, had, we, got, we had our first gate in 1997. Law enforcement were afraid that uh, we weren't gonna be able to pay them the $350,000 that they were gonna charge us. And then they were gonna have to charge, pay other people. So they came and took our money at the gate and they took all of our money and they took 300, they took about that much money from us. They took 300,000 from us. And then when they were done paying everybody all the stuff, they gave us 40,000 back later on. But, um, so that was the first year we even had a gate. The next year, um, Space Ghost ran the gate. And while he was running gate, just two people, Mr. Freeze and Virgin Mary crashed the gate, came to Burning Man, had such a good time. <laughs> That the next year they came back, they paid for the tickets for the year they crashed, they paid for their tickets this year, and they said, We want to take over Gate. And the following year they took over Gate, and they ran Gate for a number of years. Then um, Pearl and Bucky had Gate. Um, and so, so that, 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 that split off probably happened. I think it happened when Virgin Mary and Mr. Freeze were around. And I think that was about 2000. So Space Ghost did two years, and then Mr. Freeze and Virgin Mary, and then that was when they became their own thing. Yeah. Probably because of the success of having ESD break off, and well, that worked. So yeah. We were all learning from each other. We were like, oh, okay, that one worked. Let's, let's replicate it. <laughs> That's the way you do anything, isn't it? Right. How do we make us less crazy? You do something. Good. You're doing something. Yeah. 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 We- and I don't have to do it. Great. Go ahead. Keep going. I mean, it kind of follows that three-year model you're talking about also. If there's a crazy idea, you build the thing, it works, and that gives you more capacity to yes. fill that up, let it run, and g- build the next thing, or make the umbrella taller and wider. Yeah. And keep- I'm sure if I look at my notes, I will have, I kept all my meeting notes and all my stuff, and I could probably tell you exactly when that is, but I, I'd have to get to some building that I can't get to with the coronavirus and look through files and that's why we're the Department of Institutional Memory, or DIM Memories. <laughs> They're your memories, my friend. They're all valid and lovely. We don't go back to the tape or find the files or the Rosetta Stone of the actual thing that happened. What's more important is the memory you had. And that's, that's what we're trying to capture in these, these talkings with people. I have to say that the Rangers have always been one step in front of the other parts of the organization. Since about, I don't know, 2000, since your training, since your training started, I, I think that's, that's when you started peeling in front. And so you're doing this podcast right now, and we just started our own podcast. What episode is this? This is, well, I've, I've, there have been 11 that are out. There's three, there's three in the can that aren't out. So this is like 15. Right. So we're on episode number five. Three of them are out already. I have one with me that's not going to, I'm going to keep getting bumped because now they need to do the loopathon before me. They have things that are timely, but people are actually doing things right now. There's like two or three more in the can. They're doing them every Thursday, but we're, we're behind you. If you want to stay in front of us, they're doing them every Thursday, once a week. <laughs> Ours come out on Fridays. I could be talked into putting them out on Wednesdays. <laughs> Maybe we'll switch to Wednesdays when yours comes out, Harley. Harley, can I ask you a forward question? Like, we've been talking a lot about the past, but I was really touched by what you had said about building an organization that had strong women in leadership roles, and that was a big thing in the Rangers, too, right? There was this whole movement to make the women of khaki, and then that, again, went through those phases of people saying, why do you need, you don't need that, don't do that, you can't do that, and all of a sudden it it happened, and it's 
totally established thing now. They have an Adopt-A-Shift that it got so full they made another one. It's a very strong piece of the history now. And I, I love that. And I think that we're thinking about how to be well represented in leadership too within the organization and how to look for that in our numbers and definitely looking towards the future to make that for people of color also that that becomes our norm. It made me think additionally about what it was like for you being in this leadership role, having all these responsibilities, and then also falling in love and starting a family and having your daughter come out to Burning Man with you. I mean, that must have been kind of a shift. How did you juggle out all of those things? Well, I think women are pretty good at doing a lot of stuff. There was a time period where I just, I did a lot. Um, so I had to be efficient in every way it could possibly be. <laughs> um, I'm tired of doing a lot of stuff. I don't want to do as much stuff anymore, but I had to find people that I could trust to actually follow through so that I could delegate. I learned how to delegate really well. I think I see so much of that at Burning Man. The reason I did that very first TEDx talk was because I felt with my position in the organization and what I'd been through with the organization, I had a responsibility to speak about other women who frankly didn't care. They don't care that they're not getting recognition or nobody knows that they're doing all the work and somebody else is getting the credit for it or they didn't have the time to or they didn't feel valued enough to want to put out the effort. And I thought in my position, what I'd been through, I wanted to speak to them. Whether they wanted me or to not, I didn't care. I wanted to speak to the fact that every time I turn around at Burning Man, I'm seeing some amazing art project go up that there's a guy standing up there being a spokesperson for. And he's not trying to take credit. That's his role. Like some woman said, please, I have to go ahead and make this thing. Would you please go and talk to the press for me? Mm -hmm. and, and that's the way that works so frequently. Or um, like when all the women built the temple, it was all run by women. They were the only crew that was ever done early and under budget. That's never happened before. So awesome. there's so much of it that's evident at Burning Man that I think, like so many other things, it might speak to a larger picture. And I don't think it's necessarily about women. Men do this too. It's just uh, a lot of the words that are associated with it are words that are associated with the female gender. Like nurturing isn't something most men, not most, some men would find appealing in my style of leadership is nurturing, but women wouldn't have feel bad using that word. And maybe there's a different and a better word. So I don't want to get hung up on the gender thing. But again, Burning Man is this Petri dish where we have the opportunity to try and all the stuff for size, see what happens, just look at it, see what's naturally occurring. And I see that naturally occurring at Burning Man for whatever reason, women are really effective at taking charge. They are taking charge. And a lot of it goes unnoticed, probably because they're not tooting their own horns. What was that like for you to be working so hard and making all these things happen? I think the hardest thing in my life has been probably that, working as hard as I was and um, not being seen. And I, I, it's, I, it's not like I want to be seen to be seen. Uh, I want to be seen because now there's something valuable, important here. And I have been um, a major contributor and it's, I want to be known for that. I, I want to be known for that. I want to be known for my contributions because they've been huge. Um, and largely they are the kinds of things that um, are building people up and making teams work and finding out the constellation and nurturing the opportunity and um, letting, letting chaos happen until you, it reveals something that's important and then understanding it and, and, and working with it to, to make that become, become the norm. So now I feel like um, as I'm sort of tapering down, I'm only 57, but um, Burning Man has been around 30 years and it's been a large part of my life. 
the largest part of my life. And so I want to make sure that as the story gets told that I'm, I'm in it because so many women have been written out of so many stories and those days need to end. That just, that's just, that shouldn't be happening anymore. So now, um, I, my husband really pats me on the back for standing up and saying, hey, I did that. So now I regularly say, yeah, I did that. So that people know. And then integrate your family into your work experience and the events. Bringing my family in, I have to say, I have lived under such a lucky star. First of all, being a woman that's doing this kind of thing, I never took any shit from men. If, if a man tried to give me shit, I'd give him shit right back. And because I had the people I had standing behind me, men and women, they would back down because they could tell I had the authority I had because I had it and I wasn't going to be challenged. And so because I had Larry and Michael and all these other wonderful men and all these other wonderful women and we weren't following the same paradigm, I didn't have to fight for my position within the organization like I would have to in the real world. I didn't have a whole bunch of catty exchanges with other women who were being competitive with me in some work office and some work environment. Uh, we were working in a parallel universe and all that bullshit really didn't exist for us. So I was so lucky that way. On the other side, bringing a family in, I also had the support. I kind of had everybody's baby when I had my daughter because a lot of the people I worked with were too old to have a baby or too young to have a baby. I was like the only one who had this baby right when I had it. So she came into the office with me every day. Larry really believed in families and children. And I'd often be like, where's Larry? And I'd go into the nursery and he'd be in the tent, sitting with her in the tent late for a meeting because he was playing with my daughter. So he had my dad. Um, the, office, the office staff used to, uh, when it was really tense, right before Burning Man in July and everyone's freaking out, I wasn't on the list, so I never knew about it. I would walk by my baby's nursery, which is the office next to mine, and I'd see all these people dancing in there. They would have like de-stressed dance parties with the baby at the toddler <laughs> in July before they went to Burning Man. It was natural for me to be able to integrate because I had the support of my community behind me, and people were open to change, and we weren't following the norms of regular society. It was really hard. If you look at pictures of me in 2003, four, and five, I look exhausted. When you look at pictures of my daughter, she looks fabulous, like she's having the time of her life. So I'm not gonna say it was easy, but it was organizationally just perfect. Yeah, it sounds like you really made it work for all of you. That's beautiful. I so loved what you were talking about, the environment that you fostered. I mean, you fostered an environment where it wasn't about dominating and it was about being able to make strong decisions Sometimes you have to tell people bad news or this isn't working or time for you to take a year off. But it wasn't really an ego-charged thing. I've seen your sense of leadership be involved with keeping the community together and not having to be the domineering force in it. A stronger person in the community doesn't have to shove it down everyone's throat. Yeah, I always tell people that um, to this day, we have younger people, of course, taking over the organization as they should be. And I always say, if you're going to make a rule, make a rule to be broken. And what I mean by that is, if you feel like it's so important you have to make a rule about it, you better think about the exception you're going to have to make to that rule, and you have to be able to defend every bit about it so that you can say why somebody got treated differently or why somebody else got something different than you got. Because there's always going to be a time when something doesn't work anymore or when an unexpected circumstance comes up. And that means you have to be ready to say, I'm wrong or this is new and we don't know everything. You always have to be elastic in whatever's happening because something new is going to happen. Times are gonna change. And rules shouldn't be dogmatic. They shouldn't be rigid. You have to be flexible in this organization. And there's no room for ego in that kind of environment. 
you have to put your ego aside. You have to say there's something more important than me. Certainly somebody knows more than I do. Certainly somebody else's idea is going to be better than mine. You know, I did things with the Ranger organization in those few years. I made a lot of changes and I'm not sure that they were the best decisions. I think, I hope that everyone learned a lot from them. I had somebody come up to me recently at one of our staff events and say, I love you, Harley, but I'm still mad at you from when you did such and such. And I thought about it and I'm really happy that person said that to me because it makes me feel better. It also lets me know where they're at. I didn't know they still had ill feelings. And I also didn't know they loved me. I thought that was pretty cool. Mm. Um, but it also you know, makes you think, well, was that the right decision? When I thought back on it, I think actually it still is the right decision. I still think I made the right decision. <laughs> well, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> Well, that's the thing about those kinds of decisions. It's not there's a right or wrong. It's in the shades of gray. I'm still well within a gray scale of acceptable and, it, and no one died. And some, sure, somebody got angry, but sure, somebody learned something. And we all moved on and it gave everyone another chance to think about it in another way, another light. That is so hard to do and so not a model that people do in the world. Yeah. Uh, one person I worked with in the Ranger organization for 10 years. And when that person came to the Rangers... He and I did not get along. When I first met him, he said, hi, honey, why don't you show me who your boss is? <laughs> Wait, what? And 10 years later, I love that person. I love that person to death. I really love that person. But it was 10 years, 10 years for us to get to that place. And from my personal experience, to watch that person actually get Burning Man. Like it took them 10 years to get Burning Man. But now they're a wonderful person. And I can honestly say I love them. Yeah, that is the other thing that you have to teach new rangers that time is not just now. It's not just now that you're dealing with something. If you come upon a situation as a ranger and you're dealing with it, that person isn't somebody you're just never going to see again. More often than not, you're going to see that person probably the rest of the event, then probably at a local, and then probably next year, and probably for the next 10 years. The desire to help and all of the training we do gets people amped up and trying to fix a problem. And we try to keep factoring in. You're not trying to fix it. You're trying to get through today. And things will change over time. Hey, sweetie, show me your boss. Ten years later, it's somebody you would go to a battle with because they've grown up around this nurturing environment that we're, we're talking about that we see and get from leadership like you've given us. And some of the department heads we've had have followed that lead and some haven't. But there's always room for it to happen somewhere in the organization. And it is something that I hope that we can carry on for you because you are a huge part of that becoming part of the Rangers. Thank you. Thank you for the acknowledgement. I super appreciate that. One thing that I've found myself repeating that I took away from the Rangers, I thought of this when you were talking about the rules, is that especially when you're shift leading and things are just kind of flying in every direction or you're the ranger on scene with a crazy situation in front of you, you got to make the best decision that you can in the moment with the tools that are there, right? There's no pause. I'm going to come back 20 minutes after I've read through my manual one more time to find that particular answer in this particular situation. It doesn't exist. And so that philosophy of just jump in and do and try to understand the essence of the rule or the spirit of where did this rule come from? So if you are having to make an exception, you're doing it with the intent of that in mind. And the idea of you can always change courses later, you know, and I think about that with the person you're describing too of, oh, you meet them once, you're like, Ah, asshole, what are you saying? What are you doing? Get away from me. (laughs) And then that you can still 
all right, I'm making this decision. We're going forward. They're still in the picture. And over time, things change and it looks different and things evolve and the situation changes. And then the decisions are different and the intent behind them is maybe understood better. And the situation has evolved into a new space. That's been some really valuable life lesson stuff that I've learned from the Rangers and applied my work at school and then living in a small community too and seeing what's possible there. It's really valuable and I appreciate also your approach. Think, look at the person, think about what's behind the rule, try to make the thing work in the moment. One of the best things I learned from the Rangers, very specifically from the Rangers, was kicking it sideways. If you're trying to make those decisions and you're triggered, you're not going to be able to do it. And you really need to learn how to get your personal thoughts, get your ego out of the way, and just go back to what's happening in the moment. And if you can't, you need to move aside because you're not going to make a good decision. That is so valuable to know. And then you have to have trusted people around you to walk so you can trust someone else to walk in for you and make the right decision. That's good learnings there. The way that that has been ingrained in everyone's brain is by coming up behind someone saying, there's a radio call for you. Yeah. We heard that coming around and we used it and we put it in training for years. Then it's very funny when you're a trainer and you're whatever, shift leader, OD, and someone comes up behind you and says, there's a radio call for you. And you're like, oh! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have to step away. Oh! And the person you're talking to is, what is going on? <laughs> the dynamic has shifted radically. <laughs> and that's so important. And the thing that's so important is what's happening with the people there. It's never you. The more important thing is what's happening between the people. You might be one of the people, but it's never you. You're never more important. <laughs> mm -hmm. Have you, I mean, obviously you have, but I mean, are there, do you have any good examples of the Ranger ethos being brought up in other departments or other parts of the organization? All the time. All the time. First of all, the rest of the organization knows clearly that the training that happens in the Rangers is the gold standard. Um, and I have been asking since I got the Rangers, since probably about 2007, I've been asking for the mini Ranger training that goes to all staff. And remember staff at Burning Man isn't just employees, staff is the volunteers. So that they just feel it in a very encapsulated way, like a half an hour, 45 minute way, they can understand the ethos of the Rangers so that they just get a glimpse of what it takes to Ranger because, because it affects, that ethos affects, makes every, staff person, a better staff person. Um, so definitely in training, definitely in um, uh, breadth. My gosh, it's so big and, and it's still being managed so seamlessly and quite often independently. And that's kind of problematic for the rest of the organization for two reasons. One, um, we don't know what's going on. <laughs> that just isn't very <laughs> Whenever we get a glimpse, it's always really good stuff. It's always really good stuff, but we just don't know. But secondly, we can't learn along with you. You're not sharing with us so we can learn with you or we can learn what you've learned in a timely manner. We kind of have to ask for it and wait for it and then it comes out some other way and then we get it. So um, I'm kind of giving you a backhanded, like, could we do a little better here? <laughs> no, that's, that's yeah. it. It's the only way those can come. That's a good one. Yeah, I wish there was more connectivity. Tool will tell you. I, I, kind of, I kind of nipped at his heels and sort of followed him around for about a year and a half saying, can we get connect tighter? Can we, can we hook up more directly with what's happening in the Rangers for the rest of the organization? 
because there's so much good work being done there that we feel like we could we could learn from. And I'm sure that there's stuff that's happening in the organization that would be beneficial for the Rangers as well. And I think that is happening. I think that slowly but surely that is happening. Mm -hmm. But um, it's interesting to watch from my position where I was so heavily involved for a while and now I'm so far removed. And I hear about stuff like, like this podcast itself. I'm like, oh man, yeah, we're doing that too, but they did it first. <laughs> <laughs> it actually started because we were having a retreat and uh, I was tired of the standard retreat meeting all day, drink till pass out. So I brought all my recording gear and I sat around with everyone recording about seven of these in the two nights we had in California. They didn't really know that I do it for a living. <laughs> so when the first one came out, they're like, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You didn't tell us. I didn't know you did it for a living. That's so cool. I mean, at podcast, I'm sound engineer forever. So it was really easy for me to do. And these are all the people that we've been working on things for years with. The bunch of ODs together. Yeah, there's stories coming out of our ears forever. And yeah, I got to prove to everyone you can't do this around a burn barrel because it's too loud and it's too unfocused and no one listens. Ah. I mean, the idea was that these happen all the time around burn barrels, but then you have to be standing at the right burn barrel at the right time with the right person in their storytelling peace of mind. Yeah. And so that's complicated. <laughs> Early enough in the evening. <laughs> yeah, right. At the right moment. And it shouldn't be isolated that way. We have this really rich history. There's all these teams. There's all these interesting stories that have caused the department to evolve and the role in Birmingham and all the stuff, you know, that makes it um, a living, breathing history. So Splinter just brought his gear, <laughs> which was great. So cool. So cool. Any favorite last Ranger story you want to share? Yeah. So Keeper, you were talking about, you know, combining family with running the event at Burning Man. <laughs> like, how do, how do you do that? Um, <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> yes. I hear you say it's hard. <laughs> In the old days, I used to be the second person on Playa, literally. The first person is always the person setting up the cafe, and I was the second person out there. Um, my first year with Ava out there in 2003, she stayed out there with me for six weeks. Was, was, I used to be out there for two months, but six weeks was a lot. So this is 2003 when this story happens. I brought her up, and she was, of course, already asleep, tucked her into her bed, got someone to hang out in the trailer with her, and I was ready for a break. I'd been mom for days and days and days, and I'm at Burning Man, and the only time I can have fun is before the event starts, right? So I was going to go out and have some fun. There weren't very many people out there. I was coming up later. I wasn't coming as early as I used to. So, you know, we had a handful of rangers. We had a handful of, not even a handful of rangers. We probably had two rangers. We had a handful of gate. And we had quite a few DPW. I had two placer friends up there with me, my, my two closest friends. So we borrowed someone's personal golf cart. I think it was Scarecrow at the gate. And we start driving around and we hit the DPW party and then we start checking out the city and drinks are flowing and I'm not a mom right now. I'm just up <laughs> having fun. And we make it out to the trash fence. Of course. Of course we make it out to the trash fence. <laughs> and I got, I want you guys, I'm going to be really bad. I'm going to do something I've never done. I'm going to do something so bad. It's so bad. So I stepped over the trash fence. And just then, lights came up on me. And they illuminated me out of nowhere. And I was like, shit, I'm really getting caught stepping over the trash fence? I can't believe this. This is insane. And then he gets out of the car, but Adwali. <laughs> Adwali's the person who took over the Rangers for me, took over Playa Safety Council. Well, guess what? The other person who gets out of the car is my nanny. 
and my mammy was not supposed to be out there with Adwali on the other side of the trash fence herself. So who's going to call the kettle black, right? So if I climbed back to my side of the trash fence, they drove away slowly, and I drove away slowly, and nobody got in trouble. <laughs> there you go, people. There you go. Founder comes clean. <laughs> That's the quintessential example of how when you make a rule, you better be ready to make the exceptions to the rule. Thank you, Harley, for spending time with us. That was wonderful. I uh, really appreciate you and your work. When we saw that Vanessa... Vanessa Coomerly. Vanessa Coomerly, when it was head of security, women, charge of rangers. And then you heard we said that, and you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah, well, I listened to that episode, and I was like, yes, Vanessa's finally getting her dues, because she was excellent. I mean, that was such a messed up year, and she was so good. Yeah, that whole team was apparently amazing, and because you made it through. Uh, and I'm glad you stayed every time that you went away and you came back. So thank you for that. Thank you for this opportunity. I loved being able to participate like this. I really thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you, Harley. It's wonderful to talk to you. Well, there you have it. Harley K. Dubois. I don't know about you, but when I put together my playlist of all of these podcasts, this one's going to be on shuffle. There's so much information in there that I've always wondered about and I've heard told wrong over burn barrels over time. There's also a bunch of questions raised by that, so we're going to try to cover that sometime in the future. Thank you very much for participating in Season 1 of Radio Check. Next week, a special bonus. Come on back. Radio Check.